Hello, and welcome back to the Urology Care Podcast, the official podcast of the Urology Care Foundation. This podcast is part of the Bladder Cancer Caregivers podcast series, a series to help provide more understanding and guidance for people impacted by bladder cancer to include friends, family, and caregivers. Our guest today is Dr. Frank Sloan, a bladder cancer survivor who speaks openly about his journey, emotions, support, and strategies of bladder cancer as a way to showcase one's self-care. The goal of this podcast is to help patients and caregivers learn about the importance of self-care and building a support system from the personal experience of a bladder cancer survivor. Dr. Sloan, can you start by introducing yourself to our listeners? Okay, I am Frank Sloan. My profession was as an economist. Uh, I was uh, worked at Duke University most recently in the Department of Economics. I am officially a health economist. That means I use economic tools to analyze health issues, including bladder cancer. Great. Thank you. Well, we're very excited to have you on our podcast today um, to talk about your story and share some information for our listeners about your experiences with bladder cancer and patients who have bladder cancer. Let's start at the beginning. Could you talk about when you first found out that you were diagnosed with bladder cancer, what that experience was like for you and what symptoms you had at the time? Okay. Well, I need to start with that. I had prostate cancer. 14 months before the diagnosis, and I had radiation. We don't know that the radiation caused the bladder cancer, but there is an association, usually a longer period of time. So uh, what happened was that I complained to um, my uh, radiation oncologist for the prostate cancer that I had a little rectal bleeding, and I also had some blood in my urine. And so he said, forget about the rectal thing, but I think you need to look into the blood in the urine. He referred me to a uh, urologist who maybe does some cancer. Uh, I don't know that he's full-time in cancer. And they had done a biopsy before. Uh, For the bladder cancer, I got referred to a a urologist who was in general uh, urologist. He uh, did a cystoscopy and he saw two little tumors in there, in the bladder. And he said, oh, those, uh, that's nothing, but we need to take them out. I didn't hear for weeks. And then all of a sudden I was in the bathroom in the morning and I noticed that uh, I had an appointment with a uh, urologist oncologist. And the name was given. I never heard of this person. Mm -hmm. I had sort of forgotten about the uh, cystoscopy and those results and the TERP that I had. Then I was told that this was an aggressive tumor. And the first time it was removed by this general urologist. And when I got the urology oncologist, he said, well, I've got to go in again and uh, do another TERP. He did. And he said, there is no um, penetration. It's superficial. And stage one, 
but it's aggressive. And uh, therefore you need to see me every three months. And uh, we've got to monitor this thing very carefully. And as part of that, he uh, recommended a BCG treatment. I started the BCG and uh, was able to hold it for almost two hours. But as I took successive treatments, I was only able to hold it for an hour. And when the, the, the second doctor found no, didn't find any reoccurrence of the uh, tumor, he stopped it. The diagnosis was seven years ago. And the, the BCG probably went for a year and a half or something like that. Since then, I have annual uh, cystoscopies and there's been no recurrence. And at the same time, he checks my prostate and that hasn't gone anywhere either. So what we've done, my wife and I, in the meantime, we have been very active in bladder cancer support. And most of the stories sound worse than mine, but mine is a very common story. A lot of patients are diagnosed, vast majority of blood in the urine. And then they get the terps and they get some BCG and then they're okay. Now there's some who are not okay. So it's very important to, I will always get this annual uh, cystoscopy. When did you have prostate cancer and how long was the gap between finding out you had prostate cancer and then finding out that you had bladder cancer? 14 months, 14 months. Okay. And what was that like just emotionally? Because I can imagine finding out you had prostate cancer or any cancer initially is a hard thing to process. So what was that like then finding out that you now had bladder cancer? Okay. Well, the prostate cancer was no great joy because uh, the clinic released the results to me personally, before I talked to a physician. I was going through the various cores of the biopsy. And uh, then I discovered that I could diagnose myself for the prostate. For the bladder cancer, it was a shock that I get a message that I have to see this physician whom I'd never heard of. And the appointment is set up and I'm not given any advance notice. What was that, you know, experience like finding out you have bladder cancer and then going into treatment and, and recovery and everything, what did that timeline look like? And what was that experience like for you? Well, the timeline was uh, the second term <laughs> was scheduled pretty quickly, two or three weeks. And then it takes a few days to get the pathologist report. Right. And then I got a call from the uh, urologist oncologist he told me that it uh, had not invaded the muscle and I was very lucky, but it needs uh, attention immediately. Right. And he was very thorough. I have a lot of confidence in him. And in fact, we've been writing papers together on bladder cancer. I guess what I get from that is that patients can have much worse experiences. If they're willing to get a cystectomy when they have like stage two, that's generally a good thing to do because right. once the cancer gets out of the bladder, it's pretty scary. I haven't had that, but I've talked to a lot of people that, that experience. So I think the, the lesson that I get from this is this is a pretty 
fast spreading cancer. I didn't learn that immediately, but this is nothing to play around with. You're really good to listen to your doctor. I know you had mentioned that you were part of a bladder support group. Yes. When did you start going to those support groups? Was it right away when you found out that you had bladder cancer? Was it, you know, a few years into recovery? When was that something that was important to you? Okay. It was, it happened maybe a few months after diagnosis. And uh, my wife was listening to, might've been public radio, something and she heard about this bladder cancer support group. And then we started going there and we've been regulars. Uh, oh, that's great that she went with you as well. Yeah, yeah. She basically, my bout with bladder cancer maybe was a couple of years. Of course, it could come back at the next cystoscopy. So I'm not, you know, we, we're not cured, but right. we're dormant. Can you talk a little bit more about those support groups? Because- I would think that a lot of people may not be as willing to attend or may, you know, have some reservations about um, sharing their experience and, and trying to cope and deal with bladder cancer or really any cancer that they're seeking support with. That first, everything is held in confidence. So nothing goes beyond the room. And in fact, we'll have a speaker, but the speaker leaves before we have a discussion and people are very open. Some people are, uh, they've had their cystoscopies and they're very open about the ostomy bag or you know which kind of uh, procedure they went through kind of, and what are the pluses and the minuses. And then there are a few like, uh, like me, but some of them have had recurrences. And that's been an issue. One person has had a partial cystoscopy. Most people who've had it said that it was, the cystoscopy was it was well worth it. And they're very open about it. So I sort of feel like while I'm knowledgeable about it, written papers on it, that I'm sort of at the uh, junior high school level <laughs> in terms of my own bladder cancer. Right. But I I have to be very vigilant about it. So the support group, unfortunately, there are very few support groups nationally. I understand that our local one is only one of six, but maybe that's what I heard. Oh, wow. And where are you located again? Uh, North Carolina. Okay. Wow. So, So what's happening now is that we're going more on Zoom. Well, a lot more because of the pandemic. And people can join us from further away. Oh, that's we awesome. We get some people that go, that come maybe 80 miles to attend the support group. So it obviously is providing uh, some support. Yeah. And I can imagine that that may actually make people a little bit more comfortable if they can like join remotely in the comfort of, you know, their own homes and, and speak to people. But there also is that element of, seeing people in person and kind of connecting on that level as well. Right. There is, but not as much as you would think, because people are sharing very private information. Uh, You know, their bag leaked and uh, uh, they were in an airplane (laughs) and they had to change their bag in the uh, restroom, you know, so they will talk about those kinds of things. So, you know, everything is uh, revealed. What are some of the things that you've learned from people that you've 
connected with at these support groups, just, you know, either specifically in regards to bladder cancer or just kind of general things in life? Well, I mean, most people are able to adapt their life, you know, change their lives and even in positive ways. You know, some say they do what they did before. They're getting older. I mean, this bladder cancer is a disease of uh, older people primarily, but they're very positive on it. Some will talk about their negative experiences, uh, but they're now over them. I don't think the Zoom is all that different from in person. The support is absolutely critical because the first, when you hear about it, most people, and I consider myself relatively well-informed, have never heard of bladder cancer or they've heard of it in passing. Until recently, there wasn't much new technology. And now finally, we're getting some new uh, technology in bladder cancer, which is a hopeful sign. So I would say that most people, you know, while they'll discuss some gripes with the system, are basically upbeat. Now, that might be the type of person that is uh, attracted to a group like this. Do most people who attend go with either a spouse or a friend or, or someone with them, or do they go by themselves? Or is it kind of a mix of both? Some do. But, you know, when we've split into uh, survivors versus caregivers, and the caregivers go off in one group and the survivors in another group. Uh, and when we've had in-person meetings, that's what we did sometimes. And one of the issues is that this, both for the survivors and the caregivers, bladder cancer is very heterogeneous. So for some survivors, it you know is getting deeply involved in you know the post-surgical issues, and uh, for others, it's more either going to the doctor with uh, the patient or not even going with the doc to the doctor with the patient. I think if you look in the waiting rooms, a lot of patients do have their spouses or their daughters, mostly. I would say that's, yeah, certainly the majority. So that might be the role of a caregiver. In others, it's much more hands-on. Well, that's great to hear that the support groups, at least when they were in person, that they, you know, had the caregivers who chose to come um, or people, you know, supporting that individual were able to have kind of their own group because, you know, they go through something in their own life, you know, supporting someone with bladder cancer. So it's great to hear that they're able to be supported in that way as well. Right. And in some cases where there's uh, mortality as a possibility, uh, the caregivers give that kind of end of life support but they don't usually come to our meetings. Well, from the standpoint of the meeting, you don't want to just spread this dark picture about it. I mean, you want to maintain some optimism that there are treatments that right. work. Is it difficult? I know you had said, you know, there are some people who have passed, you know, that have been at the support groups is is that difficult to have interacted with someone at a support group and then hear of their passing what's the you know experience like with that information okay there are two really different kinds of cases the one case somebody just doesn't 
do well after the surgery. All you hear is they passed. In other cases, they're dealing with the complications over a period of time and they pass. I mean, people are sad about that, but they keep going. And I'm not sure the discussions are markedly different uh, when you have somebody pass versus not. I mean, if you look at the raw data, which I've done by stage, you know, it isn't all that great, but somehow we're able to uh, maintain some, you know, a lot of hope. Yeah. And so my wife has been presenting uh, uh, bladder cancer health fairs and so forth. So she's become very active, even though she is the caregiver. At least she's been caregiving yeah. in that respect. Yeah, that's wonderful. So it got me into research on it and measuring the cost of uh, bladder cancer with a grant from BCAN. We have several papers on the cost and uh, on and outcomes. Uh, what makes bladder cancer relatively expensive is that you do have this regular monitoring, which is, uh, you know, even for people like me, you know, that keep going as sort of a lifelong project. Right. And there are people 15 years after that are still getting cystoscopies. Is there a level of anxiety when it comes time for, I know you said you're at annual exams now. Is there a level of anxiety that comes in approaching that annual time? That varies among individuals. For me, I just have faith that we have regular views. If I had waited, you know, so I say it's a year since I've had this. He saw nothing the last time. Now he may see something this time, but at least we haven't waited that long. So I'm semi-optimistic. Of course, there's some anxiety, but there would be a lot more anxiety if I saw blood in the urine. And, you know, we are, we're at that point. Yeah, that's a really good point. So what are some of the things that you've learned about yourself in the time that you've found out that you have had cancer and all the way up until this point in your life, what are some of the things that you've learned about yourself and then maybe about the people who supported you along the way? Okay. What I've learned about myself is that if I think I can't, I I can do certain things, like I can try to exercise, try to eat healthy foods, go regularly. And if I saw a symptom, I would go immediately. I've sort of learned that there's some things I can't control. I get more nervous about things I think I can control. You know, if I'm up at 2 a.m. and I can't go to sleep, I'll think I'll be a zombie tomorrow. And and that actually bothers me a little bit more than the bladder cancer. But that's only because I've had good fortune. You know, bladder cancer is a teaser in that, you know, I have a friend, she's she's had it for seven years and now it's uh, up... uh, toward her kidney and uh, they may have to remove the kidney. She's not a happy camper about that. And I wouldn't be either. So I've learned that about myself. And, and if I have a, a person that I can respect as my urologist uh, and figure he's up on the science and practical, you know, that's all I can do. And what has it meant to you having your wife being so supportive along you know, this entire journey for you and being so involved in your care and, you know, all the work that she's done as well. That's great. I mean, it's, 
they identified her, even though she was coming as a caregiver, the, the support group identified her as someone who might want to lead. And she does. And she's asking people to meetings, will somebody go with me and uh, do a fair, health fair? Often the health fairs, you know, people have not heard about bladder cancer. They don't have bladder cancer. They don't have anybody in their family with it. And so they're sort of more curious, but they don't feel that impact. The real impact comes with the diagnosis. That's wonderful to to hear how she's been, you know, so supportive and, and involved in the support groups as well. What would you say to people who, you know, may have just found out that they have bladder cancer or know someone who just has bladder cancer and is trying to find that support in their life or, you know, is looking to try to find help, you know, outside of, you know, just within their doctor? Well, that's rough. I mean, we have the support group here but they may be an area without a support group. Their spouse may not be as understanding as mine. And people hear the C word and they think, well, they're dead in some cases, you know, which isn't true. That's a perception. So, I mean, there's written material, but I'm not sure the written material really does it for you because it's a very personal experience. I guess what I would say is if you can find support, maybe through your church or some other way too, but you won't get the support. You'll get more of the support of uh, living and, uh, and that kind of thing, but you won't get the uh, bladder cancer specific uh, support. But if you have a primary care physician, you know, that physician may be supportive, but it's quite specialized. So, you know, the, that primary care Physician may provide your general health support, but probably won't be able to provide uh, bladder cancer-specific support. You're considered in remission now, currently, yes? Yeah. Well, I don't know how you define it as remission. <laughs> it's just not there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so okay, cancer, I guess tumor. cancer... Yeah, I mean, I have a blood cancer, mm-hmm. and I'm not tr- being treated, okay? Okay. But if I am treated... I could be in remission. I don't know, you know, basically when the tumor is out, mm-hmm. I mean, there could be, there could be some cell wandering around my body. <laughs> I don't know if we call it remission or not mm-hmm. because that cell got out <laughs> and, uh, and we, that was not treated, that cell. I would look at it as uh, something just has to be checked. Just like the prostate, they rate, re- irradiated that cancer to such an extent. My urologist showed it to me at the last time I had a cystoscopy and I was shocked at how it looked. You know, call it remission or not, it needs to be checked. So one of the final questions that I have for you is what is the best piece of advice that someone has given to you or that you would give to someone else about their life in general or, you know, along the cancer journey that you've experienced? Well, in the cancer journey, you need a physician that you can trust and that you should trust. I make the distinction because some people might, some physicians may not really be sufficiently specialized in this. I've, I've learned by my, about myself, but it may not apply to everyone, that I, there are limits to what I can control. 
I mean, it's a roll of a dice. Usually he's talking, the urologist is talking about our paper or whatever, you know, but he's looking around uh, for 60 seconds or whatever it takes. And then I just go, they tell me about all the adverse side effects, but I haven't had those. So, I mean, I want a physician who can sort of be compassionate as well as a good scientist. I'm sure I'm not alone. I'm sure a lot of people feel feel the same way. And part of us talking with cancer survivors, you know, across various platforms is just to kind of get people's experiences out there and let other people know that they're not alone and that there, there are ways for them to get support and, and find support. Um, and so I really thank you for speaking with us today and sharing your story and the ways that other people can be supportive. I can tell you're very passionate and rightly so. And, you know, the bladder cancer space is very lucky to have someone like you, um, you know, working to, to help other people as well. Well, thank you. Dr. Sloan, thank you so much for taking time today to speak with us on our podcast. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you. This podcast is provided through the generous support of Sejin and Estellis. This podcast has been brought to you by the Urology Care Foundation, powered by trusted experts of the American Urological Association. For more information on today's topic and for all things urology health, visit urologyhealth.org. That's urologyhealth.org.